0: The first job Bobby Rissette created was her own.
1: There were 50,000 other administration people looking for work. I'm not typically like the Donna from Suits look, so my chances (laughs) of getting administration work with tattoos and the way I look
0: was very slim. We talk a lot about solving problems as entrepreneurs, and sometimes that problem is literally just needing to pay your bills. Like so many others, Bobby had been laid off from working in the oil and gas industry. She was a foreman with a background in admin. And her job prospects were kind of bleak. But Bobby rolls with the punches.
1: So I went on advertisement places like Kijiji and Craigslist, and I posted ads, a virtual assistant, work from home, we'll do this, this is my experience. And, you know, to my surprise, I've received a lot of emails of people saying, oh my God, I need you.
0: This is The Growth Effect. I'm Sarah Stockdale. A lot of people would have stopped there, but Bobby had found a purpose. She was now a job creator. This kind of flexible remote work was a huge opportunity. She could create employment for marginalized people who struggle to get work in traditional roles. Admin staff are often the first to get laid off, but that work still needs to be done. And a lot of businesses turn to the big freelancing platforms out there to paper over the cracks.
1: So I signed up also as well to who are now considered my competitors. And I started interviewing a lot of the businesses that utilize their service. And one of the issues that kept coming to me was the quality of work with freelancing platforms. So companies were desperate
0: for a solution. They couldn't find quality, flexible workers, and they couldn't afford full-time staff. They needed a way to connect with good freelancers. And Bobby had one. She called it Virtual Gurus.
1: All these people are trying to find work who are marginalized folks, such as myself, and nobody was giving me work, even though I have the experience. So why don't I mesh those two together and uh, try to figure a way where I can build this into a quality platform, where I can provide work to marginalized folks.
0: This was in 2016, long before COVID forced us all to normalize working from our pajamas. But Bobby created a place where people can earn a living on their own terms. On the other side, it's really easy to hire an assistant from virtual gurus. I know because after our conversation, I did it myself. The world of work really hasn't changed in a way that accommodates a lot of marginalized people. It can be really hard for mothers, people living in remote communities, or honestly, even just people who might not look like the textbook professional, like Bobby herself. She has short hair and tattoos, but she's also an Indigenous woman and part of the LGBTQ community. These are all people who face barriers to employment, some structural, some involve unspoken bigotry, and sometimes that barrier is just a really long commute. And for a lot of jobs, those barriers don't need to exist. After breaking them down, Bobby now has 25 full time staff and over 400 contractors working for her. That's a lot of jobs created. This kind of work, the gig economy, is so often a race to the bottom for employment standards and pay. But that's not how Bobby works. She's won awards for how she treats her employees. Because when your goal is to create jobs, what is the point of creating a bunch of bad ones? But creating good jobs isn't just a way of winning awards. She says it's the whole reason Virtual Gurus even works. That conversation after this. Whether you're a large multinational company or your business is still an idea, HSBC is here to help you grow. They can help your reality match your vision. And if that vision crosses borders, they do too. Whether in Canada or in the 53 countries and territories they have commercial presence, HSBC meets you where you are. Learn more at business.hsbc.ca.
1: So our North Star is our people. They deserve a fair wage. I deserve less profits because I want to make sure that they get a fair wage. They deserve to be treated well. They deserve to be, you know, educated informed and given the resources to succeed from home while they're taking care of their children, you know. And so the downfall of many platforms out there, and there's a lot of them, not any of them really talk about their community. They talk yeah. about their service and this, which is great. But for us, it was more of like, no, we have these people, we have this talent and we treat them well and uh, they stay here and they're devoted to us. And therefore, we have a very low client churn as well as a very low virtual assistant um, talent churn. And that's because if you treat the community better, then they're going to treat the clients better and then it just builds into this big, massive community of support
0: it goes against the grain of profit at all costs. It goes against, you know, a lot of what we would have been taught in business school. Like, how do you do everything you possibly can to minimize your labor costs, to minimize the cost of your business, to increase your margins? And you are actively going against, like actively pushing against that super capitalistic kind of make as much money as possible and and get out model. How do you think about that, like, push and pull between investors and capitalism and trying to build a profitable business, but also having the impact that you're having and developing a real relationship with the people that you're employing.
1: I've always wanted to make a difference in people's lives and since I was young. It was kind of a staying true to myself. You know, there were a few times where when I was looking for investments was maybe I should be offshoring. But I had to remind myself, no, your passion here is to bring work to those who have typically been left at the bottom of the barrel or who don't have the resources to work a nine to five job. And uh, the moment that I had solidified within myself that I wasn't going to give up on my passion, which was my people, was I think where people started jumping onto and people started understanding that there is kind of a method to my madness. While yes, our margins were cut a little bit more than if we were to be a company that was paying 2 to $9 an hour. By the way... Bobby pays her virtual assistants
0: $18 to $22 an hour.
1: However, we still are profitable and we're still making quite decent margins for a startup. And uh, being able to explain that to the investors to understand that, that's why I realized I needed to go after impact investors because they understood that more. That's to say, not all my investors are impact investors. They're just caring people and empathetic people who get what I'm doing. I don't think I'll ever change that. I know that as we scale, and we're scaling quite large right now into the US, we're going to be eventually hitting the UK and Australia, and uh, it's something that I don't think I'm going to ever steer away from. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, when I get a, a text or a message in Slack from one of my VAs who I don't even know because I can't know them all anymore, there's too many of them, and I get a thank you for believing me, and I get a thank you for allowing me to work from home and a picture of them holding their baby. I mean, what else can I do, right? That's my North Star is that. And that's what makes me get up every morning and do what I do.
0: It's refreshing to hear that because when you hear about some of your competitors and some of the players out there, especially just in general in the gig economy, just across the board, you have these companies that have heavy VC investment, huge growth goals, and very transactional and almost exploitive relationships with their customers. And you're taking a look at that and saying, we can have a human-centered approach to this. We can have a community-centered approach to this. It doesn't have to be growth at all costs and exploiting human labor. You can actually create opportunity for a more fulfilling, more flexible life for folks.
1: Absolutely. And Talking about this now, though, a lot of my investors, when I was closing my funding round, thought I was crazy, thinking that the human to human aspect of it wasn't going to scale and it wasn't scalable. I spent a year and a half closing my funding round because the kind of funders that I was going after, they didn't see how this was scalable in a sense. Now, a year later, after I closed that funding round, a lot of those investors have reached back out to me and it's because they're seeing that actually it is possible. Yes, we have a lot of work on the technology and we are building the algorithms to be able to do a lot more matching and uh, being able to build the automation part a lot more. And uh, we're realizing with the amount of clients we bring on per day, so we're about four to 10 new clients signing up every single day. Wow, That's a lot. That's a huge scalable amount for these people to sign up on a monthly subscription. Knowing that and knowing that the people part of it is scaling, that we have that ability. Now we're just starting to turn the taps on.
0: That's incredible. The business is exploding in the best way. When I say exploding in this year, I want to make sure I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> qualifying it because there's a lot going on. I read that you had pitched 170 investors before you found your first investor. I struggle with taking rejection once. Like I'm, I'm a, you know, sensitive, anxious human, and I, I struggle taking rejection at all. 170. Like, what is that
1: like? Oh, that was scary. It was stressful. However, I honestly do think that it was an eye-opening and and self-learning experience for myself the first 10 rejections i it kind of beat me up a little bit i took it to the core but at the same time i'm leading my team and i didn't want to show people i was down and this is the part where i realized that they say being a founder is lonely and uh, that's kind of the first part i really started feeling that and then i just started to keep going and i realized that when i was hitting these investors I wasn't being true to myself, which was showing up as myself, maybe with my Converse shoes, my jeans and my black T-shirt like I'm known to always wear and uh, just be myself while I'm pitching them. And I started getting more and more comfortable. And even though a lot of them were saying no, every single one of them was coming back to me later saying, you know, I've always think about you. And when other people pitch me, I always tell them about your pitch. So it was really one of those if I inspired one person and I'm inspiring them all. So I kept going, and it was probably about the 120th pitch in that I had realized that I actually was pitching the wrong investors. Virtual Grooves is essentially, it is an impact startup, but I was pitching them as a technology, full-blown, high-tech startup, and that's not what we are. So I really had to change my tune, change my pitch. I had to approach it totally different, and uh, from there, the response started changing, and I started getting a little bit more easier. And then, yeah, after the 170th, I I was struggling. Uh, you know, it was my mom taking every day, reminding me why I'm in this and my passion. And I ended up reaching out and cold emailing who is now my lead investor and basically just said, you know what, you're going to want to see what I've got. I'm an Indigenous woman and I think you're going to want to see this. And so they were like, touche, let's talk. And so that's kind of where that came. And finally, after I ended up signing on my lead investor, we ended up getting oversubscribed. So we were, we were originally going to close 750000 and we ended up closing $1.25 million. So it's a small round, but it got me over that hump. And uh, today I actually closed $1.6 million. So still another small round, but it's helping get me over that hump of of closing. <laughs>
0: There are so many entrepreneurs who get that tenth or fifteenth or fiftieth rejection and just say, "All right,
1: I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> like,
0: I guess this is it for me." Was there ever a moment that you almost said, "Okay, maybe we're we're not going to raise, or okay, maybe this isn't going to work?"
1: Yeah, there was about ten moments for sure. <laughs> <laughs> there was one moment where I shut down and nobody could find me for a good week, and and I, you know, had my curtains shut and lived in my house and in, in the dark and just was depressed about it because it really it affects you because you know for a fact that you have something, you know that you're onto something that is growing, you know that it has the ability to go places, but you are running out of your own money that you're putting into it or, or you're stretched too thin and, you know, you can't do everything because at that point you can't hire people until you get an investment it really beat me up for a bit. And uh, in reality, though, I look back at it now as that was probably the biggest learning lesson of my life. And I actually cherish that because I was able not only to learn from it, but I was able to really dig deep within and realize how strong I am and resilient that I am. So I ended up really just pulling through and, and kept going. And you know, now we're going for our series A just in about six months to a year here, and that'll be quite a large, significant number. So, you know, to know that I have went from basically throwing in the towel, you know, to now having investors knocking at my door is uh, its just a pure sign of, you can't give up. There's a time where it's like, you, you gotta be able to push through somehow and believe in your passion. And, and I think that's exactly what I did.
0: Tell me a little bit about the impact. Tell me what that looks like for you.
1: As a LGBT Indigenous entrepreneur myself, I've always struggled finding work. I've always struggled being accepted and I've always struggled just being able to be taken serious. And it's always been a struggle. And I realized when I jumped into this that, you know, I was creating a platform where I was allowing myself to have a voice to be able to Exumerate and talk to other people to make sure other people felt excited and happy that they could join a company that was allowing to open those doors. So I ended up using those my own platform to be able to offer work to marginalized folks. So 95% of our contractors identify as female and 65% are part of the BIPOC community and 45% are part of the LGBTQ community.
0: I'm so excited by it because you see I talk to tech founders all the time who are saying, you know, I'm I I have an an all-white dude engineering team and I'm just I'm trying to diversify and I can't find these people and blah 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 and I'm I'm always kind of looking at them like they're out there and they're highly skilled and it's not rocket science to find and hire them like and you are like here is this incredibly diverse team of people that you've found opportunities for. You're essentially the opposite of most tech companies.
1: Yeah. And I think the one thing, too, is people ask me, well, is that all you hire? Is they have to be considered a marginalized? Absolutely not. No. um, It just shows that we've set out a mandate for ourselves that that is part of the mandate. And the reason being is because half of those 95% that have identified as female are single stay-at-home moms who are trying to make ends meet. And how do they make ends meet? How do they afford childcare? And this was before the pandemic hit. So using my platform to be able to provide them work when their children are napping, or even when the children are sitting on their lap while they're working, go ahead. You know, that's what we are. So being able to provide that was a huge thing for me. When I look at it now to what it's grown to, and I look back into the community, um, I was actually just in there right before I came to the the meeting with you and, you know, just seeing how much it's exploded and how they all support each other other and, and what they're doing is just it's phenomenal you know just to know that oh wow okay this is actually built-in and born into something big
0: finance has a crucial role to play in tackling climate change and HSBC wants to help you and your business transition to a low-carbon world they are committed to supporting responsible economic growth and enabling the low-carbon transition In Canada, HSBC can help you navigate the world of sustainable finance. They deliver a global banking experience with sustainable solutions and insights to support your business. Learn more at business.hsbc.ca. Was there a moment building Virtual Gurus where you were like, I will never work for someone else again?
1: Oh gosh, yeah. I feel like once you feel, you know, that you've worked on your own and you've built something on your own, I feel that once you have worked for nobody but yourself, that it's so hard to turn back. I don't think there's any turning back now. I think I'm (sighs) going to constantly always be an entrepreneur, even if virtual gurus gets bought or acquired, or I'll come up with something else because I'm going to want to keep working. And I I really enjoy working for myself or being the and creating jobs. And that's just number one thing for me. But I would have to say probably was right after closing the funding round, the first funding round, that I had realized that, okay, you know, I could do it. I got that one under my belt. Now they say it's going to get easier. And I'd realized at that point that I realized there was no turning back and that this was in my blood. It was in my DNA. And I wanted to keep doing this. And, and I had so much passion for it. So I've already gotten lined up what I know I want to do. I want to still be an entrepreneur. I want to become an investor. I want to be an investor into other Indigenous startups. And I would kind of want to get out there more and support the community like I was supported.
0: Once you get it in your blood, once you're like, I can create anything, you can basically do anything. And you're at the point now where the people who are underestimating you earlier on in your journey are starting to look at you and say, This is a business that we need to focus on. But before that, like Just remembering uh, Vivian Kay told me that a lot of the energy that she has behind building her business is a little bit out of spite for people who underestimated her. And I just, I feel that all the time in my own business. Do you have any of those stories where you're like, this is a moment that I'm going to remember and come back to when I've reached this huge milestone?
1: I think the exact same thing. I almost essentially, it's almost like you're chasing the dragon, but you're you're chasing that mic drop moment all the time of being like, you know, I told you I could do this. One of the times that sticks out the most to me is uh, what a lot of people don't know is in 2016, I actually ended up bringing in somebody that I had met on Kijiji to be the CEO of the company because I didn't think I could be. And no I didn't way. believe in myself. I didn't think that I could. And I made the uh, typical rookie founder mistake. And I gave up way too many of my shares for pretty much next to nothing. And I allowed him to become the CEO of Virtual Gurus. So I always say that the Virtual Gurus' rebirth day was actually in 2017, where after i had let him go, when I'd realized that the vision just was going astray, my vision, he wasn't even taking my vision anymore. Absolutely nothing on him. I, I took all the onus on me because I'd realized that I was the one that allowed somebody to take my vision and take it where it's not even my vision anymore. The reason I did that was because I didn't believe in myself. So I ended up uh, letting him go. Yes, I ended up losing quite a bit of the shares, but that's just how it goes. And I kept thinking, you know, onward and upward, and I'm going to push forward. And at that time, I remember quite a few people were wondering if I was going to be able to actually do this. So I kind of took a step back and I reevaluated and I put my big girl pants on and I ended up going up to all these startup groups and I started really focusing on getting my name out there, but getting my way to being able to learn what others were doing and how could I do this and build my confidence in being the CEO. So I officially took over as CEO near the end of 2017-ish. And uh, from there, virtual is just hockey stick growth. And so I'm happy, I'm stubborn. You know, because I am stubborn and at that point I was like, no, people are thinking I'm just going to fail and I'm going to give up. No, I'm not going to do that and I'm going to prove you all wrong. And uh, that was just the thing that pushed me through a lot of that. And it was also me learning to believe in myself and to understand that, you know, I can do this and there's no better person to do this than me. I really had to kind of take my power back on that. And that was a huge uplifting feeling and part of my whole journey for sure.
0: I love that, you know, we're talking about being underestimated and you you were like, I underestimated myself. Mm-hmm. Like that was part of that journey and like relearning your own power and relearning like what you are capable of and almost having to take it back
1: from someone that I guess you lent that power to for a period of time. And it wasn't even right when I took the company back and understand that I needed to be the CEO. It was like six months after where I had thought, you know what? I just took my power back and I've got this and this is amazing and I'm going to do it. And and I started like walking taller and I started being more confident. I, I got a little bit over my fear of public speaking. I I pushed myself out there. I, I took courses. I did whatever I possibly could do to make sure that I was always bettering myself to be able to run this.
0: So if everything goes to plan and Virtual Gurus is a, a massive success, What does the world look like? What has changed in 10 years?
1: You know, remote work has been around for some time now, especially freelance platforms. They've been around for a while. What hasn't been around is the impact side of them. In the future, what I I challenge is a lot of other freelance platforms to try to keep it onshore to where they're at. Because we're providing work to people knowing that, especially right now with the pandemic, the world has caught on that it's easy to work remotely. This is something that everybody that has a freelance platform already knew. Like it, it is easy to have remote workers. You just have to be able to have the platforms in place to manage them. And, uh, you know, I think if everybody caught on to that and everybody focused on that, that the world would be a whole different place because we would be able to help people who are struggling. We'd be able to provide work to people who can't find work and, and are on uh, services to help them financially. and. You know, we'd be able to give a lot more people a chance that are often forgotten. And that is huge to me. Many of the people that have worked for us, a lot of them come to us and tell us that they have struggled and haven't been able to find work for years, but they're super skilled. And they've got skills in like marketing and this and that. And and it's just wonderful, you know, because it also gives them that peace of mind that they can work whatever works for them. They can make up their hours. So if they only want to work from 10 until 2 while their children are napping, then you know what? That's what you do. It's such a great Lifting, uplifting experience to be able to see how many people we're able to provide that work to. And I think we're just the tip of the iceberg right now. That
0: was Bobby Rissette, CEO and founder of Virtual Gurus. Bobby is building an incredibly important business. She's focused on creating work for people who struggle to find work in traditional ways parents and primary caregivers, LGBTQ folks, and indigenous people. She's creating space for people who are so often left out. Something Bobby said stuck out for me. I asked Bobby who underestimated her when she was building Virtual Gurus most, and she said herself. She built something from scratch, did all of the hard work, got the first clients, and had created something incredibly special. And then she made the decision that she wasn't worthy of her own business. She hired some guy off of Kijiji to take over her company. I almost spit out my coffee. Here is this brilliant founder building a necessary business, and her inner critic, that little gremlin we all have in our minds, successfully convinced her that she wasn't the right person to build it. And I felt that in my bones. When we don't see founders who look like us doing the thing, it's easy to start to wonder if you really belong in the entrepreneurship club. It also felt like a stark demonstration of how insidious our own minds can be. So often the person who's holding you back is the person staring at you in the mirror. But Bobby took her power back. She took back control of her company. She built her resilience up to the point that she was able to hear no from 170 investors and keep going. Now she's investors knocking at her door And just recently, they announced another $1.7 million funding round. Bobby shows us what is possible when you can quiet that little voice in your head and decide to bet on yourself. Can't believe we're already four episodes into season two. That means there are nine other episodes for you to go listen to if you haven't already. I particularly love the episode with Vivian Kay. If you're looking for my recommendation, I guess. (laughs) So that you don't miss our next episode, go click that follow button in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And as always, we'd love for you to leave a review or share the show with a friend. Everyone's welcome in this little club. The Growth Effect is produced by the Globe Content Studio in partnership with HSBC Bank Canada. The producers are Jay Coburn and Katie Jensen of Vocal Fry Studios. Our executive producer is Kieran Rana. I'm Sarah Stockdale. Thank you for listening.